Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 7. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The Jehovah's Witnesses claimed to be the 144,000, but they had a little problem because their group grew larger than 144,000. And guess what? They had to redefine who the 144,000 were. So the 144,000 are the cream of the crop, Jehovah's Witnesses. And all the rest of them are earth dwellers, people who dwell on the earth. It was the Mormons, historical Mormonism. They claimed to be the 144,000. Brigham Young took the teaching of Joseph Smith and taught that the Mormons are the 144,000. And you guessed it, they grew past 144,000 and they too had to redefine who the 144,000 were. The children of God, this is a group that rose up during the Jesus movement in the 60s mid-60s, late-60s, the Jesus movement. They claimed to be the 144,000. Ellen G. White of the Seventh-day Adventists said the followers of Ellen G. White are the 144,000. The Worldwide Church of God garnered Ted Armstrong, following in the footsteps of his father, Herbert W. Armstrong, claimed to be the 144,000. Now, thank the Lord... Here recently, as I understand, they have changed that position, and now they're seeking to get back to the Bible. Amen? It's good to get back to the Bible. But there were a lot of people who were around during that period in which the Worldwide Church of God was claiming to be the 144,000. Now, it's obvious to me, it's obvious to me that the 144,000 is Calvary Chapel, Just kidding. You know that. No, the 144,000 are not Calvary Chapel, and they're not Seventh-day Adventists, and they're not Mormons, and they're not Jehovah's Witnesses. We just read it. The 144,000 are the children of Israel from the 12 tribes of Israel. That's who the 144,000 are. Now, you might remember from the Old Testament. You remember your story. Jacob had 12 sons, and the 12 sons became the 12 tribes. Now, as you study this, I think you can go back in your own time, and you'll find some very interesting things. But there's one interesting thing that I want to point out for you. Of the 12 tribes, did you notice who is missing? The tribe of Dan is missing in action. Why? Well, the rabbis go back to the blessing that was pronounced by Jacob on the 12 sons. But when Jacob came to Dan in Genesis 49, 17, he said, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path. 
that bites the horse's heel so that its rider shall fall backward. You see, the rabbis and some Bible scholars believe that the false Christ, or get this, the Antichrist, will come from the tribe of Dan. Many good Bible scholars and rabbis believe that. And some believe that the tribe of Dan is MIA, missing in action, because of idolatry. Because of idolatry. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 29, 21, God said those tribes that get involved in idolatry, the Lord's anger will be kindled against them and the Lord will separate them from all the tribes of Israel. And that is exactly what happened to Dan. They were cut off because of idolatry. You see, God gave Dan some beachfront property down south. Dan didn't like that property. So he moved up north. And by the Sea of Galilee, that is where they made the golden calves and began to worship. So Dan wasn't happy with what God gave them. He moved up north. He moved without God telling him to move. And guess what happened? He found himself involved in paganism and idolatry. Let that be a lesson to us. Let that be a lesson to us. We need to move as God moves us. Amen? Because you don't know what waits over there. Be careful. Who you don't know. Well, that happened to Dan. And because they got involved in in idolatry and pagan worship, as Deuteronomy 29 said, Dan was blotted out of the tribes. Now, you want to see the grace and the mercy of God. Read this in your own time. Ezekiel chapter 48, verses 1, 2, and 3. Ezekiel 48 verses 1, 2, and 3, we see the mercy and the grace of God as the Lord comes back and establishes his kingdom. And get this, the first tribe to get land when the Lord comes back is guess who? Dan. Interesting. So these 144,000 are sealed and sent into the world. 144,000 sealed Jewish believers. Who will stand? The 144,000 sealed Jewish believers. And notice the second group that is able to stand. We find them in verses 9 through 17. If you're there, would you say a hearty amen? And these things I looked. After these things I looked. And behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all the nations, tribes, people, and tongues standing before the throne, before the lamb, clothed with white robes. Notice, with palm branches in their hands. Speaks of victory. And crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God Let's read verse 12 together saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the heavenly elders answered, saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know, John says, I don't know, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. And what are they doing? They are serving him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For verse 17 is one of the most beautiful verses in all of the Bible. 
For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd or feed them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful verse? Notice the second group that is able to stand. We've already met them in chapter 6. In chapter 6, under the fifth seal, if you were here last week, the martyrs are praying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And these slaughtered martyrs are given white robes, and they're told to be patient until the completed number of martyrs is complete. Well, here in chapter 7, the number is complete. And they are now brought into the heavenly scene These have come out of the great tribulation. Did you get that? Now, because the scriptures say that these have come out of, stay with me here, very important, that the, all the Bible's important, but this is very important just because I'm talking about it right now. These have come out of the great tribulation. I do not believe that these people are a part of the bride of Christ. This is a different group of saved believers. A different group. They have come out of the tribulation. I do not believe they're a part of the church. Well, why do you say that, Rodney? Well, if they were a part of the church, John would have known them. Did you get that? John did not know them. John doesn't know who these people are. Now, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, and I saw thrones, and they sat on them. That will be the church. And judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness. That will be those martyred during the tribulation to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or the image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So John sees this second group, those who were martyred during the tribulation period, those who were put to death by the Antichrist because they refused to worship him and to take the mark of the beast. So I do not believe that these people are a part of the bride of Christ. Also, notice in verse 15 in your Bibles, they are standing before the throne, before the throne. Revelation chapter 3 verse 21 speaking of the church says that we are sitting with Jesus on the throne and ruling and reigning with him. The church, Christians, we are not standing before the throne in the heavenly scene. We are sitting with Jesus and ruling with him. Well, not only that, but notice again in verse 15, and they serve day and night. They are servants in the temple. John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Did you know that the Lord does not call you, if you're a believer, God doesn't call you a servant, he calls you a friend. Jesus said, I don't call you servants anymore. The bride of Christ is not called servants. We are called friends. We are friends of the Lord. So these tribulation saints are serving there in the temple, but not really a part of the church. But they are believers now. 
And note this here. They came out of the tribulation. Did you see that in verse 14? They came out of the great tribulation. The church is kept from the great tribulation. So marked differences here. Marked differences. Now, during the tribulation, let me say, during the tribulation, I believe the greatest revival is going to take place that man has ever seen in history will take place during the tribulation. Millions and millions and millions of people will be saved during the tribulation. Why? Because there are 144,000 Billy Grahams, if you will, or Greg Lauries going around preaching the everlasting gospel. People are going to get saved during the tribulation, but why wait until the tribulation to get saved? That's stupid. No, you should get saved now. I remember when I was stationed at Camp Pendleton, I was talking to this Marine guy. I had just become a Christian early on in my Christianity, and, and I learned some real basic stuff about Christianity. I knew that, that I was a Christian, and the Holy Spirit lived in my heart. I knew that because the Holy Spirit lived in my heart that Jesus was going to come back someday and take me to heaven in the rapture. And I knew that after the rapture, some really bad stuff was going to happen on the earth. Now, I couldn't detail it for you, but, but I knew some bad stuff was going to happen, and I didn't want to be here for the bad stuff. And then after the bad stuff happened, Jesus was going to rule and reign for a thousand years, and then there's going to be a new heaven, new earth, and all the Christians are going to live with the Lord happily ever after. And who doesn't love a happy ending story? Well, I do. So I told this guy, I'm telling this Marine about all this, you know, and I'm like, man, you know, you need to be saved. You need to become a Christian, escape the tribulation, and, 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 and went through all of that. And I said, do you want to become a Christian? And he said, nah. He says, I think I'll wait and see how everything pans out. I said, well, what are you, a blockhead? I mean, what's up with that, man? I said, why would you want to wait till things pan out? He says, well, Rodney, listen, listen, Rodney. He says, if, 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 if the rapture happens and, and your sea bag is still in your room and you're not around, he says, and, and we can't find you anywhere, and there's a lot of people gone, gone from the earth, and I hear it on the news, and I'll see all this stuff happening, all this bad stuff happening on the earth. He says, then I'll become a Christian, and I'll be martyred, and, and, and then I'll go to heaven, he said. And I said, you know, what makes you believe that you can live for Jesus during the tribulation if you cannot live for Jesus right now? Amen. What makes you think that you can live for Jesus and die for Jesus during the tribulation if you cannot live for Jesus and die to your flesh right now? Think so? Think not. I think not. Listen, you need to become a Christian when the Holy Spirit is calling you. The Bible says that, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man or woman opens the door, I'll come in and live with them. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. Don't put it off until the tribulation. That's stupid. Quite honestly, that's just dumb. When you can be a Christian today and escape those things, why put it off? I mean, just by the fact that we were having the conversation acknowledges the fact that he believed what I was saying. Why put it off? And even maybe you're backslidden. Why not get your life right with Jesus today while there's still time? Yes, I believe these tribulation saints are Christians. Yes, we know they'll be in heaven. Yes, they have their white, their robes washed and they are clean. And the angels are rejoicing that they're there. 
but they're different in position than the church. They are not the bride of Christ. And notice, they show hunger no more. Remember the third scene brought famine? Well, that third seal brought famine. And these tribulation saints, they've experienced that famine. And they won't be thirsty anymore. Later, later we'll see that God strikes the water supply on the earth and you can't drink the water. So people will be thirsty. And as the judgments move forward, the sun will scorch people. So these tribulation saints, they have gone through hunger and thirst and scorching of the sun. But now they're free from that because they're in heaven with the lamb. He will feed them. He will lead them to living waters. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Now tell me when's the last time someone wiped away your tears. For me, that has never happened. I don't ever remember. Now I'll wipe away my own tears. But I'm, I don't ever remember someone reaching over and Wiping the tears from my eyes. What does that say? That says the Father loves us. That says the Father is intimate with us. That says the Father is paying attention to you and your tears and your pain and your suffering and your trial and your anguish. God knows. And those tears, God will wipe away from your eyes. What a beautiful, beautiful, intimate picture of the Father's love for people, even these tribulation saints. God loves them, loved them so much he, 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 he gave them an opportunity to be saved even during the tribulation, and even their tears he'll wipe from their eyes. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. Heaven, the best part is heaven. The tribulation the best thing about the tribulation is that it doesn't go for eight years. You can say amen right there. Amen. The tribulation doesn't go for nine years. Say amen. The tribulation is seven years. And the best part about it is this seven years. And when God says seven, it means seven. Not eight, not six, but seven. And because it will end at seven years, and then the Lord will come. And the best part about it is all leading up to something much better. Heaven. Heaven. I said it last service, and I'll say it again. The best part of heaven is heaven. It's just heaven. Man, without the hope of heaven, there's no meaning to life. Just heaven. You know, I want to read you a story called The Fork. The Fork. Give me your attention, if you will. In closing, there was a woman who had been diagnosed with cancer and had been given three months to live. Her doctor told her to start making preparations to die. So she contacted her pastor and had him come to her house to discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. She told him which song she wanted sung at the service and what scriptures she would like read and what she wanted to be wearing. The woman also told her pastor that she wanted to be buried with her favorite Bible. Everything was in order, and the pastor was preparing to leave when the woman suddenly remembered something very important. Uh, there, there's one more thing, she said excitedly. Well, what's that, the pastor said. Oh, this is very important, the woman continued. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. Well, the pastor stood looking at the woman, not knowing quite what to say, 
That shocks you, doesn't it, the woman said. Well, to be honest, I'm puzzled by the request, said the pastor. Well, the woman explained. In all of my years of attending church socials and functions where food was involved, and let's be honest, food is an important part of church functions, my favorite part was when whoever was clearing away the dishes of the main course would lean over and say, you can keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew that something better was coming. When they told me to keep my fork, I knew that something great was about to be given to me. It wasn't jello or pudding. It was like cake or pie or tiramisu. Something good, something of substance. So I just wanted people to see me there in the casket with a fork in my hand, and I want them to wonder, what's with the fork? Well, then I want you to tell them something better is coming, so keep your fork too. The pastor's eyes welled up with tears of joy as he hugged the woman goodbye. He knew this would be the last time he would see her before her death. But he also knew that the woman had a better grasp of heaven than he did. She knew that something better was coming. Well, at the funeral, people were walking by the woman's casket, and they saw the pretty dress she was wearing and her favorite Bible and the fork placed in her right hand. Over and over, the pastor heard the question, what's with the fork? And over and over, he smiled. But during his message, the pastor told the people of the conversation he had with the woman shortly before she died. He also told them about the fork and about what it symbolized to her. The pastor told the people how he could not stop thinking about the fork and told them that they probably would not be able to stop thinking about it either. And he was right. So the next time you reach down for your fork, let it remind you oh so gently that there is something better coming. Oh, what's that, Rodney? Heaven. Heaven. You know, I had one of, one of the guys get me a fork. And this fork has food on it. It's dirty. <laughs> what, can't I get a clean fork around here? Waiter! And I thought to myself, every time I look at a fork from now on, I'm never going to be the same. I'll always remember this illustration. And I'll always remember that, you know, it is true. You do keep your fork when you want more. <laughs> Amen. You keep your fork when, you, when something good is coming. And I'm going to keep my fork and remember my fork. Something better is coming. It's heaven. That's why you got to keep telling people that Jesus is coming soon because you want them to be in heaven. You want your family members to be in heaven. You want your friends to be in heaven. Some of you have lost loved ones and you know that they're in heaven. What a joy and a comfort it is to know that they're in heaven. Why? Because heaven is better. Because heaven is better than here. Heaven is better than here. Heaven is better than, than here. All the problems and the heartache and the suffering that we have to endure as Christians. But oh, heaven, 
is better. And when I look at this fort, it really is dirty, by the way. <laughs> heaven, the hope of heaven. And the tribulation and all of these things that we're studying is just pointing us to heaven. I'd ask you this morning, are you going to heaven? Do you know that there's something better? Are you sealed by the Holy Spirit? Or will you be sealed by a false spirit in that day? Huh? You got to know. And, and, and there's no time to be trying to figure it out. You know, it really isn't. And there's no time to wait. Jesus is coming soon. And you keep your eye on this wheel and you'll know that Jesus is coming soon. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.